Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. So this is third and six. Mahomes throws the cross, is intercepted on the deflection. Brian Branch, the rookie, ties the game with his first NFL touchdown. Brian Branch, they have been excited since the day they drafted him. Right through the hands of Tony, an absolutely perfect throw that'll go down as an interception for Patrick Mahomes. Out of Alabama, who's worked his way into the nickel spot. Ball finds him, finishes it off. The Branch score evens the game. The Lions still had plenty to do to nail it down last night, but that was the moment it all changed. When Kadarius Tony had the ball in his hands, it pops up. Brian Branch takes it in for a touchdown, ties the game at 14, and spoiler alert, the Lions win the game 21-20. I'm still in Kansas City. It is a subdued and sullen and quiet morning in Kansas City. Peter is in Detroit in a newsroom where I assume it is very raucous. The roar has been restored. The Lions are back, baby. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Good morning, Mike. And I'll tell you, the the one thing about that game last night is that everything that could have gone wrong for Kansas City did go wrong. And particularly, I mean, look, Kadarius Toney is is the goat of the week, uh, and they don't even have to play any games on Sunday to, to figure that out. But I think the other part of this game, that if I'm a Kansas City fan or if I'm Andy Reid that bothers me, is how incredibly inefficient the offense was. If you told me at the start of the game that Sky Moore and Kadarius Toney would combine for one receiving yard, and that, and they would, that would happen on a night when the right tackle, Juwan Taylor, got away with, uh, you know, what, 40, 20, 30? 
however many false starts because he was getting off the ball early on all on virtually every snap and and it just this was not an Andy Reid team last night really amazing and plenty of adversity for the Chiefs of late and you feel like that weighed them down to a certain extent but also before we focus on the Chiefs I'll just say this you know we lock in our picks well before we go to the stadium for the opening night game. And I can't say we locked in our picks before I got the sense being around here at the hotel. There's a lot of Lions fans in town. And even though there's a disconnect between the team and the fans, I know going to the Super Bowl, it was 48 in New York, and everybody thought the Broncos were going to win. And a few days beforehand, it's like, man, there's a lot of Seahawks fans here. It's just a lot more than I thought. And of all the cities I've been in for the week one game, this was the most the opposing team's fans have infiltrated ahead of time. And it was, you know, and then we get to the stadium, and it's Honolulu Blue up the wazoo all around at the front. They're loud. They're chanting, let's go Lions before the game. And they never stopped. And... And when the Lions came out, it was too late for me to go back. My hand was off the checker. But when they do the perfunctory, ladies and gentlemen, Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions, and boo, well, no, those Lions came out. And there was just, you've you've witnessed that, Peter, at some point, where the team comes out and there's something there. And there's something like, you know what? We're taking, we're going to piss on your, sorry, London, we're going to piss on your party tonight. We're taking it. And that's a nice banner you got there. It's, it'll, be, it's, it'll be a shame if somebody pisses on it tonight. And that's what the Lions did. But you could feel it before the game. And still, it was only a one-point win. And a lot of things had to fall Detroit's way and not fall Kansas City's way. But I want to give the Detroit Lions their due. I said before the game, are they ready for primetime? Their fans were. But this is a hell of a primetime draw to get Mahomes and the Chiefs on a night that they're unfurling a banner. I got to give them credit. This is a tough spot, difficult circumstance. They came in and they took it. The Chiefs let them hang around and they took it. And if that's how the Lions are going to play this year, the Lions are going to go places in 2023. You know, Mike, I'll take you back about six weeks now. The day I was in training camp in Allen Park, Michigan, at the Lions facility, uh, it was raining. It was a steady rain, not a pouring rain, but a steady rain. And I got to the facility for a morning practice at about, I don't know, I'd say 7.15, 7.30. Uh, it was an 8.15 practice. And I could not believe my eyes. Because there were probably, I don't know, five, seven, eight hundred people in line, not many with umbrellas, uh, waiting in line to get into this practice, just getting rained on. And as someone who goes to a lot of training camps, and again, look, I haven't gone to Detroit every year, but I had never seen anything like this. And the enthusiasm at that practice the, you know, understanding. Some guy yelled out to rookie tight end Sam Laporta in maybe his fifth practice 
as a professional. Hey, Sam, we need you this year. And, and so there was so much of a different feel that I got in Lions training camp, and it kind of portended what you saw in that stadium last night. I think the one other thing I would say just about sort of the atmosphere and all that, look, Mike, I watched the game on TV, so I didn't know. But it seemed to be a little bit, uh, the fans on their, on their heels a little bit in Kansas City, especially in the second half when everything started to go wrong. And look, uh, I never think that what happens the first game of the season is, uh, is going to be uh, tremendously influential if you lose the game. But if you win the game, I think it can be a great harbinger of things to come for that team. And that's why, you know, if I'm the Lions, I'm thrilled. I'm euphoric. You aim for this game the entire offseason. The NFL, I can tell you, because I do a lot of reporting on the schedule, there were a lot of people in the NFL, in and around the NFL, who didn't want this as the first game because they were afraid of it being 28-7 to at halftime and people turning off their TVs. But the Lions saw to it, and obviously some circumstances saw to it, that this was going to be a game for four quarters, and that's exactly what it was. Well, I know there was concern, and Sims and I talked about this yesterday, just the idea that nationally, when people see Lions-Chiefs as the first game of the season, it's not going to resonate the way that it would if it were a sexier matchup. But all of a sudden, here come the Lions with the cachet, and what a bookend. And look, I said it, and I'll admit it, I've been following football for 50 years. The Lions have not been great for 60 years. Since Bobby Lane, there have been... Little bits yeah. and spurts and the Barry Sanders years, but they last won a playoff game in January of 1992, for crying out loud. It's been more than 30 years for the Lions. So I just need to see it. Tony Dungy said similar things this week. He grew up a Lions fan. I just need to see it. He was there through all the times where, hey, this is the year. Hey, this is the year. Hey, this is the year. And it's never the year. But, yeah, this is a great way to kickstart it. You're right. From the Chiefs' perspective, no reason to panic. Long way to go. Chris Jones will be back at some point, week eight at the latest. Travis Kelsey presumably will be back sooner than later, although I don't know. There's just kind of a weird vibe. There was some discussion from Melissa Stark during the game last night about Travis Kelsey being in a pool yesterday and not being able to get any weight on the knee and I'm, I'm, I'm taking a wait-and-see approach to how this plays out. I was led to believe there's just some mild discomfort. It sounds like it was something other than mild discomfort yesterday morning, but we'll, we'll have time to talk about that. The bottom line is the Chiefs will figure this out. For the Chiefs to have lost last night, as you said, a lot of stuff went sideways. A lot of weird things happened. They still have Patrick Mahomes, and they'll figure it out around him over the course of the season. If you're going to have guys that can't hold on to footballs, they're not going to be playing. And I'm stunned that Kadarius Toney continued to be in that game after that many drops. I felt like Patrick Mahomes was getting exasperated with 19 on the field. But, but for as much as I believe, as you do, that the Chiefs will get this figured out, the Lions already have it figured out. What a kick in the pants for them to start the season. They go home now. Huge week two game, Seahawks. 
Then they get the Falcons back-to-back games at Ford Field, which is sold out for the first time in forever. And we'll see what they can do. But I, I can imagine Dan Campbell's already telling them, forget about what happened on Thursday night. If you don't stay focused, if you don't stay hungry, if you don't stay ready to win, people are going to forget all about what happened. That's just going to be a blip on the radar screen. And the Lions in position to really, really prove that they belonged in that game last night. So we saw them end last season, knocking out Aaron Rodgers from the postseason and ending his time with the Packers. And now we see him, for the first time ever, delivering an opening day loss to Patrick Mahomes. You know, Mike, I'm glad you brought that up. Two points. Number one, I think I liked what Dan Campbell said after the game last night. I don't know that anybody even paid attention to it. But he said, I'm going to go home and enjoy this for two or three days. And then we're going to get on with it. I think too many coaches, honestly, say things after a game like that. Hey, you know, when we land back in Detroit, it's on to Seattle or, you know, whatever. And good for them. They've got the weekend off now, and I'm sure that the coaches won't be off totally. But in essence, the Detroit Lions should enjoy this. They should soak this in for two or three days because they've got the weekend off. Enjoy it. That doesn't take anything away from your preparation for the next game or the next game or the next one. So that's one thing. And I think the second thing that I would say, Mike, about where Detroit is right now as a team. I thought there was a great stat last night, uh, and, and I forget who said it. There's a great stat that, in essence, since Brad Holmes became the general manager, 20 of his 23 draft picks are on this team right now. And that tells me that not only did the Detroit Lions hire the right head coach in Dan Campbell to rebuild this thing. But they also hired the right general manager. And, you know, he always, always had faith in two things. Number one, he had faith in Jared Goff to turn it around. And he had faith in his own ability after having been with the Rams for a long time and seen the Rams do so many good things in the late rounds of drafts that we, you know, obviously we got to hit on the high picks, but we need to hit on the lower picks as well. And so I don't want this show to go by, this day to go by, without there being some appreciation for the team that has been built by Brad Holmes. And I saw Brad Holmes before the game. We chatted briefly, and there was kind of a looseness to him, kind of a smile and a twinkle in the eye that they, they sensed what was coming. They believed in what they could do. And last night, it's kind of like, you know, you study for that exam and you're really not sure how you're going to do on it. And you get the paper back and you look down and you see, yeah, you know what? I knew, I knew, I knew. And now everybody knows that we got this all figured out. Here's Dan Campbell, coach of the Lions from after the game talking about what he learned about his Lions team from last night's win. I didn't learn anything. I got verification on what I already knew. And this is a resilient team. Uh, It already was a resilient team, and we added pieces to that resilient team. So um, we're built to handle some some stuff, and uh, 
And we did that today against a very good opponent. That's the key. You take, you take the punches. You hang around. You know it's going to be a long fight. There will be ups and downs and highs and lows. It's how you deal with the lows and how you get the most out of the highs. When opportunity knocks, when the ball squirts into the air, Brian Banks snatches it and takes it in. And that's, you know, the moment where it felt, okay, it's 14-7, and it feels like, and I said this in the first half when it was 7-7. The thing about the Chiefs is they can score 28 points in one quarter. And it's just, boom, and it happens, and it's over, and it's done. It's close, it's close, it's close, and then it's done. And it kind of felt like that had the possibility of happening last night. Until that when it's 14-7. Okay, one more, 21-7, and that's it. Night-night. And it's going to be 28-7 before we know it. And the final score is going to be 31-13. But when, when Kadarius Tony has that ball squirt through his hands, and all over social media is the picture of Tony hands out, ball in it, frozen there, saying, this play ended in a pick six. But it hits the hands, it squirts up, and there it was. And that's just it's resilience, it's opportunity, and it's just you go and you go and you go and something breaks your way. And once that happened, that's when you could just feel, okay, this is a tie game now. And, yeah, it's still the Chiefs. And, yeah, it's still Patrick Mahomes. And, yeah, you know, we've seen them win these games when it was close and when they were behind or whatever. But this is the moment where with just under 11 minutes left in the third quarter, we got a ball game and we got a chance for the Detroit Lions to take it. Because that was, when you consider that first drive of the second half, what was the, the, the notion? The Chiefs drive down and score a touchdown just before halftime. This is the Bill Belichick, two drives on either side of the half. We're going to go get two touchdowns. We're going to be up 14. And there's the photo. That became a pick six. Peter, how does that become a pick six? And, and I don't want to dump on Kadarius Tony because... He hasn't practiced much. He's had the knee issue. The coaches are the ones who kept putting him out there on the field when it was obvious he wasn't ready to go. He wasn't focused. He wasn't able to make those catches. He dropped too many balls. And I appreciate the fact they still had faith in him, but there's a point where you have to say, it's not in the cards tonight. He hasn't practiced. He hasn't played. It's just not working. But to see that image with that ball there and those gloves, and we know how those gloves are. Those gloves are like Velcro. And the ball ended up yeah. popping out and returned for a touchdown, and that's it. And that's, that's how close these games can be. That one moment changes everything. Because if he makes that catch and they keep driving and it goes to 21-7, we're, we're talking about a very different reality this morning. Look, Mike, uh, you know, you talk about, well, you don't want to dump on Kadarius, Tony. This is professional football. This is not high school football. Honestly, if something like that happened in high school where a guy hands an interception and a pick six to the other team, and then on what could be the decisive drive in the fourth quarter, he drops a play that could have, should have been a 35-40 yard gain. Okay, and that is going to get Kansas City at the very least in position for one of the best kickers in football, Harrison Butker, at least you know, to kick a field goal that could have put them ahead with, you know, just minutes to play. But whatever. All I'm saying is that if you're going to celebrate the guys when they play great, you have to rightfully point the finger when the guy plays terrible. And last night, Kadarius Tony did everything humanly possible 
to hand the game to the Detroit Lions. That's a fact of life. He's going to have to live with it. Andy Reid, Brett Veach, they're going to have to decide, even when we get Travis Kelsey back, okay, with the no-show last night with Travis Kelsey and Sky Moore, two guys who are supposed to be huge. And by the way, in the immortal words of Alanis Morissette, isn't it ironic that the two guys who caught the touchdown passes that beat Philadelphia in the Super Bowl, Kadarius, uh, Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore, they're the two guys who basically uh, helped in a big way, cost them uh, the win last night at Arrowhead Stadium. After the, the drop that was at the end of the pack we just showed, where it wasn't just hits him in the hands and he doesn't hold on to it, the way that he was moving his body to try to get the ball, it was like, again, he had no business being out there. He, he, it's like he, he hasn't been on a football field in months. Like the ball's coming in, and we've seen and we get spoiled by the incredible ball skills that players have where a ball's in the vicinity and they know how to put their hands and snatch it. Watch the other angle on this. When It's like, what is that? Ugh. That's how I would be trying to catch it. Now watch Mahomes. See that, what that hand signal? We're, like, is that get this guy the hell out of here? I don't know what this was when he's doing this after that play, but I, I, I feel like he knew whatever the reason. We hardly saw him in training camp. He had the knee issue, and they were saying he's good to go, he's good to go. There's a point where you just have to say he's not good to go. And they can't will this guy into being their next Tyreek Hill. They want him to be number one receiver. They stole him from the Giants. At least they thought they did. And speaking of the immortal words of Alanis Morissette, although I don't know what counts as immortal if she's still among us. Regardless, the, the, the Chiefs fans last year were thrilled that they stole Kadarius Toney for a third-round pick and a sixth-round pick. The buzz last night from the Giants fans... And the Giants beat writers was, hey, we got a third round pick and a sixth round pick for that guy. That's pretty damn good because he stinks. <laughs> well, the other thing about that, Mike, is, you know, if Darren Waller plays well, I think Darren Waller is the guy who they got with the pick from Kansas City. Yes. You know, they got a three and a six. And, you know, if Darren Waller ends up playing well for the Giants, and look, I'm not, I'm not portending anything, but that's still a big if because he needs to stay healthy, and he, he hadn't been able to stay healthy in Vegas. I think that's one of the reasons why Vegas, uh, you know, was willing to give him up for a third-round pick. So, look, there's a lot, and, Mike, we said it at the beginning, and I feel this way very, very strongly. To draw too much out of this game, too much negative out of this game if you're Kansas City, you got to look at everything. But, you know, I saw stuff last night. Oh, they got to trade for Mike Evans. You know, they got to do this. Hey, look, in an ideal world, I'm sure Brett Veach would love to pull the trigger on a trade for Mike Evans of Tampa. But how many guys are you going to pay? That's the problem in today's football. One of the first things I saw, I thought when I saw the Nick Bosa contract is, who is that going to cost the San Francisco 49ers? So, because it will, whether it be in the future, 
whether it be inability to sign, let's say, Brandon Ayuk. I, I don't know. We don't know yet. But, you know, you got to look internally more than externally now if you're Andy Reid. You've got to solve your problems from within. And honestly, the one thing that I would try to do this coming week, if I were Andy Reid, if I were Patrick Mahomes, I would try to get Sky Moore to get back and to become a playmaker for this team. Because my one memory from talking to Mahomes at training camp in St. Joseph, Missouri, is Sky Moore has had an unbelievable offseason. He's been fantastic. He's been at every workout. He's followed me to Texas. He's done everything that we need him to do. So Sky Moore, who's totally healthy, and you drafted in the second round and saw a lot of potential of, Sky Moore is the guy who, if I were Kansas City right now, he, you know, look, I think, I don't know what they're going to do with Tony, uh, but I think Sky Moore is the guy who they need to look at going into a very, very tough game in Jacksonville. I'd look at Sky Moore, and the last thing I'll say, Mike, about their offensive weaponry, they've got to use Justin Watson more, period. You know, this guy is a good to very good NFL receiver who simply hasn't had enough chances. He's a guy who's reliable, and I think he's a guy who Kansas City's got to get on the field more. There has been one game in the past 10 years that Travis Kelsey did not play, but the rest of the starters did. Since missing almost all of his rookie season, he's missed three games. Two because they were resting starters and one because he had COVID. That was the game December 26, 2021 against the Steelers. And in that game, Patrick Mahomes threw the ball to 10 different receivers, completing the ball to nine of them. Last night, he spread it around to 12 guys with 11 of them catching passes. The only one who didn't have a catch who was targeted was Sky Moore, targeted three times with zero catches. And as you mentioned, between Moore and Tony, one total catch one total yard, four drops from Tony. So they did spread the ball around a lot, but as you're saying, they didn't feed the guys who were getting it done. They weren't playing the hot hand. They were trying to force an agenda. This idea that Tony kept getting opportunities when it seemed like he just wasn't in it mentally and something was missing. You got other guys. You don't have to keep going to Kadarius Tony, regardless of whether or not he should have been catching the ball, regardless of whether or not this was because he didn't practice or play. There's a point where you just have to say, you know what? Justin Watson is catching the ball. Noah Gray is catching the ball. Rasheed Rice yeah. had the touchdown early. Where did Rasheed Rice go after that? So let's get the ball to the guys who are catching it. We, we get so enamored with this idea that Patrick Mahomes is just going to find a way, and he's going to throw to the open guy. You still have to draw up the plays and call the plays that will feature the guys who are getting it done. Let's dial up the plays that will lean toward the guys who are performing tonight. And that may be the the thing that the Chiefs had a hard time doing on the fly, Peter, because that rarely happens, because Travis Kelsey always performs. And in the past, when they had Tyree Kill, for as much as a – pain in the butt as he became for them, he always performed. 
And this idea that we got guys out there that just can't perform, that's kind of foreign territory for these Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. But that's something they got to be ready to do moving forward. When you have that many guys, especially if you're not going to have Kelsey, if you got 12 different guys you're going to target potentially, you got to figure out which guys are delivering, and those are the guys that need to get the football. Yeah, I would agree with you, Mike. But I, I just think last night in this game, and I understand you saying maybe they did go to Kadarius Tony one too many times. But if you're Patrick Mahomes and Kadarius Tony is on the field and is as wide open as he was, can we show that play again? You know, in the fourth quarter at the start of that key drive at the Kansas City 45, when Kadarius Tony basically doesn't have anybody close to him and he tries to catch the ball awkwardly. Look at how open he was. And if you're Patrick Mahomes, you ask this question. Just look at how open he was. To not throw to him would have been the height of irresponsibility. And, and look, could Mahomes have led him a little bit better? Possibly. Uh, you know, it appears that he could have. But any high school receiver catches that ball. It is right there. And there's nobody around him. There's no threat of getting hit. Nothing. And so to me, I can't I can hardly blame Patrick Mahomes for for targeting a wide open receiver on that play. But I do think going forward that uh, Kadarius Tony's definitely going to have to re-earn the confidence of the play callers, the play designers and the play executor who's Patrick Mahomes. But but, you know, you touched on something and we're so wired to just constantly praise Patrick Mahomes. We're witnessing history. We're experiencing greatness. He's one of the all-time best quarterbacks ever, and he's only been a starter for five years. But in some of the plays that we've shown today, both of the, not both, but two of the Kadarius Tony drops, they weren't exactly where they needed to be. The, and to give, I'm not making an excuse for Kadarius Tony, because I still think he should have been able, because we've seen professional athletes at the receiver position contort their bodies in that very simple way where it's like, oh, it's not right here. I'll go back here and make the catch. We take it for granted because it happens all the time. But the ball was behind him. Another drop from Tony, ball was behind him. The one where he was crossing underneath, ball was behind him. Sky Moore, there was one, ball was behind him. Got his hands on it. And we always say if you get your hands on it, especially with those gloves, you should be able to catch it. But the ball was behind him. Now that one obviously was right where it needed to be but there was and I keep thinking back to Tyreek Hill who constantly says Tua Tonga by low is the most accurate quarterback in the NFL well that look see that that's low and away a little bit from Mahomes so he wasn't as accurate as we've seen him in the past last night but still there were so many occasions where the ball is is in the catch radius of the player and the player doesn't make the catch that the players who are supposed to catch the ball, and we're used to seeing guys catch the ball all the time, we expect them to do it. But they weren't all perfectly, like the one that, that Tony popped up into the air for Brian Banks, they weren't all exactly where they ideally could have been. And a little of it then, not much, not much, but a little of it is on the ball not being exactly where it needed to be. I agree a little bit, but... Uh, you know, look, I, I, of the people who were to blame for that game last night, 
uh, Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion, would be about 34th on the list. I mean, he wasn't as accurate as he normally is. I don't disagree. You use I don't the disagree. Word. I'm just saying. Catch there's a little radius. something there. Just a yeah. little. Right. Right. There's a little some a little something there, but you use the you use the term. You know, it's the term that the Pittsburgh Steelers use. You know, with Pickett to Pickens. You know, Kenny Pickett told me this. Uh, you know about George Pickens in training camp. He said, "I've never seen a player." with the catch radius, uh, you know, of this receiver. And if you, if the ball is in your area code, you know, you practice, practice, practice. You know, we see, I, I did something in the off season in which uh, I talked to Amon Ross St. Brown. And when he gets on the jugs machine after practice, he catches 202 balls. Why does he do that? Because a kid in high school who was supposed to be the best receiver in his area after practice every game caught 200 balls. And after, pra- after practices and games caught 200 balls. So he said, I'm going to do more. I'm going to catch 202. And he stuck with that. So look, I have no idea what the uh, regimen is for Kansas City receivers after, after practice or, 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 when, or in training camp. I don't know. But the fact is, you know, those balls were catchable footballs. This is the world champion Kansas City Chiefs. This is not a, uh, a, a, you know, a USFL team. I'm not being critical of the USFL. This is not a Division II college team. This is not, this is the best of the best. And if the ball is thrown in your area code, you have to catch the ball. There are no excuses. Catch the ball. So that's how I look at last night. Let's hear from Chiefs head coach Andy Reid and also quarterback Patrick Mahomes on all of the drops that happened last night by the Chiefs pass catchers. It's unusual for us to drop that many passes anywhere, anytime. So um, we'll, we'll go back and and work on that um you know that, but you got you know you got to take care of business and these guys know that and so we, we've got to fix that i think they know that i'm gonna keep firing it um and so uh we'll, we'll try to get it fixed this next week and uh correct it going into the next game i mean i've i've trust in, in kt um he, he missed a lot of training camp um obviously he wanted to play and, and, and fought rehab hard so he could play um and and Stuff's not always going to go your way. Obviously, um, he would have wanted to catch a few of those in the game, but I've trusted that he's going to be that guy that I go to in those crucial moments, and he's going to make the catch and, 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 and win us some seasons like he did last year. So we're going to continue to work him in, get him more and more reps, um, and I'm sure that, that those drops will kind of disappear. That's all they can really do. They understand the talent that Kadarius Tony has, the speed, the agility, the reason why they were thrilled to get him last year for a third-round pick and a sixth-round pick. And you don't give up on a guy just based on one game. But I think the message is within the confines of a given game, especially for as long as Travis Kelsey is out, and who knows how long that will be. They have optimism. He'll be back next week. We'll see. But even when he is in the game, you, you I would like to see this Chiefs offense, which still doesn't have a clear number one receiver other than tight end Travis Kelsey, but no wide receiver that has emerged as a top guy. 
you just got you got to go with a hot hand. You got to find a way to get the ball to the guy who is delivering in a given game. And if a guy isn't, I, and I'm surprised when Andy Reid and look, he's being charitable with his players and he knows how to have the right relationships with them. But I can hear in my brain from past press conferences like that, coaches saying, "Hey, if guys aren't going to catch the ball, we're going to put guys out there who will," because it is professional football and it's presumed that when the ball is within, you know, a few feet of your torso, you will find a way to do what you're paid to do, which is put your hands on it, especially with those gloves that can catch anything and make the catch, because that's, that's what you do. We expect field goal kickers to make kicks, and we expect pass catchers to catch balls that are within their catch radius. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be a challenge they got a few extra days to get it together and go play the Jacksonville Jaguars, which will not be an easy game in Jacksonville, with or without Travis Kelsey, with or without Chris Jones. they got some work to do, and we'll see how they respond to this one. Again, they still could have and should have won that game. It still felt like when they stopped the Lions on fourth down, uh-oh, oh, you done screwed up now, Dan Campbell. You went for it on fourth down, and here come the Chiefs. And here come Patrick Mahomes. And even on that fourth and 25 play, which I think Andy Reid should be getting a lot more criticism for going for it there than he will. But what's the alternative? You give it back to the Lions and they get a first down and the game's over anyway. And I said when they lined up fourth and 25, Freddie Mitchell ain't walking through that door, Andy Reid. But again, there's Mahomes buying time, throwing the ball, and it actually almost had a chance. Unbelievable. There were so many of those near the end of the game where the ball kind of gets there and the receiver seems surprised that it got there. But that's Mahomes. So they still have Mahomes. They'll be fine. They'll work it out. And with all the stuff that went on last night, they still had a damn good chance to win the game. That's, that's the whole thing, Mike. They can look at that game and they can say, listen, with two minutes and 40 seconds, a ball was dropped that would have put us in easy field goal range. And we could have kicked a field goal with, oh, pick a number, a minute 40 to go uh, to put us ahead in this game. And then if we make a stop, we win. If we don't, we lose. But that is why, to me, if I'm Kansas City, if I'm Andy Reid, of course you're despondent because you feel like you handed this game away. But... I'm not too despondent because we faced a really good team. I mean, it's incredible you can say that right now, but the Detroit Lions are a really good team. They can make stops. Look at what happened in the last two games. You know, they stopped Aaron Rodgers in his last game in Green Bay when they're playing for the playoffs and the Lions are playing for pride. And then in the first game of this season, you know, they're able to do it. And so against a great quarterback. So to me, I think if you're Kansas City, you basically say, listen, we played a D football game. And, you know, we're very, very close at the end. So it's not like we, we got blown out. We're going to be okay. Let's everybody relax and get back and play. Honestly, Mike, this will be one of their toughest games of this season. People laugh, say, oh, my God, you say that about Jacksonville? Yeah, what about with a real field temperature of 97 in North Florida at 1 o'clock in the afternoon 
on September 17th. How do you think that's going to go? When, by the way, the home team has been practicing in that for two months. And, of course, you know, it's been hot in Kansas City and in and around Kansas City. But you haven't had the constant drumbeat of practicing in that day after day after day. So, look, that's not going to be an easy one, even if Kansas City, instead of playing a D game, plays a B-plus game. And you know what's going to help them in the aftermath of this game from last night? So much criticism is going to be sent their way that they're going to maybe develop an organic chip on the shoulder. You know, the great teams always have a hard time finding yeah. a legitimate reason to say nobody believes in us. But after what happened last night, that will be the narrative as the Jaguars game approaches, especially if Jacksonville beats the Colts 34-10. to People are going to be like, uh-oh, watch out. Uh-oh, the Chiefs are going to walk right into it now. Uh-oh, the Jaguars can do to them what the Lions did. That's going to maybe give the Chiefs a little more of an edge. And, and that's what they were missing last night. The Lions had that edge. The Chiefs didn't have it. The Chiefs felt like they were just trying to hold on. And the Lions felt like they were trying to, to take it. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. My cat, Rachel, is the silliest cat I know. One time, she played inside a paper bag for three hours. What a mystery. But I'm glad her health isn't. Thanks to the color-changing litter from Fresh Step Crystals Health Monitoring Litter. This premium color-changing litter has pH-activated crystals that can help me detect potential illness early. That makes it easy for me to stay on top of her health and well-being. I may not understand all of Rachel's silly quirks, but I can keep up with the important things. Find Fresh Step Crystals Health Monitoring Litter at a store near you. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company. I want to talk about something you mentioned earlier. And this really was shameful to me. And I want to rewind to last year because this is not a new dynamic. And I noticed it early in the game. It was one of my complaints last year. Lane Johnson of the Eagles is the master of this. The half second, split second, just early enough that they don't shut the play down. Just, it's, it's almost imperceptible, but if you've watched football for years, you have a little flag that goes off in your brain when you see someone move early. And tackles yeah. have been doing this Absolutely. for the last year now, Peter. They, there are guys on every team, almost every team, who know how to leave a little bit early. And here's the Chris Sims theory that I think is absolutely right. Between holding not being called and these false starts not being called, this is a way to compensate for the fact that the defensive linemen are so much better now than the offensive linemen. And they will shut down the passing game and they will blow up the quarterback if the officials aren't giving the offensive linemen 
that edge between holding a guy and the flag stays in the pocket or taking that early step and no flag. And it became comical last night. Last night is when it might have gone too far because it was Juwan Taylor, the right tackle of the Chiefs, too far back, his right leg constantly moving. I remember when I played offensive line in grade school, the coach came over and literally kicked me in the ass because I was rocking in my stance. Because once you're, once you're set, you can't move. His right leg, he's got the Jimmy legs, Peter, with that right leg. And then on top of everything else, he's leaving early. And they never called it. And they were praising yeah. Juwan Taylor. Hey, if they're not going to call it, keep doing it. But the problem is it became a mockery. It became cartoonish. And now the league's got a problem. And, Peter, the league should be very happy the Lions won that game last night. Because if the Chiefs had won that game, topic number one on every show is, hey, you know, the Chiefs don't win that game. If the officials just call what what we all saw, constantly, 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 almost every play that was a pass, Juwan Taylor was lined up too far to the backfield, had the Jimmy legs, and left early. Here's the thing, Mike. I think, I, I, you know, knowing how the officiating department works, on their training tape next week, the officials are going to be warned. And they are going to tell officials, look, the right tackle, first of all, is lined up too far back. That was clear the whole night. Uh, and, you know, our announcer said it, Chris said it uh, on the air, uh, and also Terry McCauley said it. And, and I think when you see that happen, and it keeps happening, if the official didn't call it three minutes into the game, how's he going to call it 43 minutes into the game? This is the type of thing, Mike, that officials, what they usually do, what they usually do, is they go to the player during a TV timeout or during a timeout and said, listen, you're lined up too far back and you're moving a split second too early. Got to be careful. You know, I, I, if I see that much more, I'm going to have to throw the flag. And then he goes and tells the head coach, said, listen, your right tackle is lined up too far back. You got to fix that or I'm going to throw the flag on it. And so, obviously, that didn't happen. If it did happen and the official kept the flag in his pocket, he needs to be downgraded for that. Um, But I do think this coming week, there will be an alert sent out by the officiating department, and it'll be sent to all officials. It'll be on the training tape this week, and it'll be sent to everyone. It'll be saying, listen, this is too liberal a use of space by the right tackle. And we can't have that going forward. And I'm sure this week, going into Jacksonville, I'll bet a lot of money that Juwan Taylor will not be lined up as deep and will not jerk a little bit before the snap. And by the way, one last thing about this, Mike. If you're Juwan Taylor, your first few rushes by... uh, by Hutchinson, uh, by Aiden Hutchinson, uh, you're going to say, listen, this is going to give me a real chance to stop Hutchinson because otherwise this guy is a bruiser. 
And I thought Hutchinson did a lot to make that happen, you know, to force that to happen last night. I agree with you that that is the typical way that the NFL officiating department will react to the failure of the officials to do something that the league would like them to do. And you send out the memo, and the video goes out, and all the officials know. And this would be one of the benefits, frankly, of having full-time officials, because what would happen is Tuesday they'd all convene in Dallas or Kansas City, whatever the central location is, and they'd sit in a room all day long, and they'd hear it directly, and they'd talk about it. And they, I mean, when you're full-time, you're not going back and handling your law practice or your janitorial supply business or whatever the hell else these folks do other than other than officiate games. But, Peter, here's my question. Does the league truly want to eradicate this? Because this is a way to keep Aiden Hutchinson from pummeling Patrick Mahomes on a regular basis. Mission accomplished. We got to help Juwan Taylor. Otherwise, it's going to be Blaine Gabbert playing quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. And we don't want Blaine Gabbert playing quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs because then nobody's going to watch the games. And that goes right back to what Troy Vincent, the executive VP of football operations, said on ESPN last year when the roughing the passer calls became a laughingstock mockery and he had to go out and defend it. He said, hey, we want starting quarterbacks to be healthy. We want starting quarterbacks to be available because look at all the highest rated TV shows of the past year. They're all NFL games. And if your starting quarterbacks are injured, it's not going to be all NFL games. So, Peter, that's the philosophical question. Are they going to be inclined to put a stop to this? Or are they just going to put their heads down and keep their mouths shut and hope nobody says anything about it so they can keep letting it happen because it helps keep the quarterbacks in one piece? Well, we'll see. If, if you see Juwan Taylor doing the same thing every week, every week then you're going to know that, not necessarily that the fix is in, but you're going to know that what you're saying and your suspicion is absolutely true. I, do, I don't think they're going to do that. It's clearly uh, a violation. It's clearly taking a rule that allows, you know, it used to be, Mike, when you line up, you know, when coaches draw, you know, their, their plays on a board, they draw the offensive linemen in a straight line. They don't draw them like this. <laughs> you know, they don't draw them in, a, in, in an, uh, almost a, a half of an oval. But that really is what it got to be last night, you know, with Juwan Taylor at right tackle. So to me, I think the NFL has to do something about it this week uh, and, ha- and has to tell Kansas City that, okay, we didn't officiate this one by the book. We're officiating it by the book in the future. And I think that's what they will say. And here's where the NFL benefits next week because the Jaguars and the Chiefs will be playing at the same time 16 other teams are playing because it's one of nine games that will kick off at 1 o'clock Eastern next week. So it won't be as noticeable if it does or doesn't happen. So it'll be – it's on my – it's one of those things where, okay, a lot's going to happen between now and next Sunday. But what Juwan Taylor is doing pre-snap is something that I'm going to make sure – 
when I go back and rewatch that game and only that game, I'm going to pay attention to see whether or not that's been wiped out. But it won't resonate the way it did because it's those standalone primetime games where we're all watching, we're all reacting on social media. That's when it blows up. So you know what it's going to be. You know what the equivalent's right, going to be. It's the regional it's game next, next Thursday week. night. It's yeah. ne- but you know what? It's next Thursday night. Eagles Vikings. Is Lane Johnson going to keep getting away with it the way he always does? That's going to be the one to watch because he is the master of it. He, he's not quite as blatant. He's the one who should be pissed today because Jawan Taylor took it so far. Now Lane Johnson's not going to be able to get away with it potentially. But that's the guy to watch. Week two, after they distribute the memo, after they send out the videotape, next Thursday night, Will Lane Johnson be getting away with it the way that he did when we saw the Eagles in standalone games last year? I want to ask you one last question before we take a break. Well, and I know we're running out of time in this segment. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, Lane Johnson, in a big national game on Sunday, by the way, you know, Philadelphia at New England, Tom Brady Day. So that game is going to be front and center at 425 Eastern on Sunday. But go ahead, Mike. Sorry. But that's before the memo goes out. And that's the question. You know, are they going to try to get it corrected by Sunday? Or do they just wait until the dust settles on week one before they send out the memo? Okay. How do you think the Rams are feeling about giving up two first-round picks? And what else did they give up? A second-round pick or a third-round pick plus Jared Goff for Matthew Stafford? I mean, I, I don't know that Goff is going to take the Lions to a Super Bowl. And I think Sean McVay just decided we can't win a Super Bowl with Jared Goff. But when you think of everything they gave up, and they couldn't wait to get rid of this hot potato Jared Goff contract, to, but what the Lions got, and I think the Lions are pleasantly surprised that Goff ended up being as good as he is, and I don't know what his ceiling is in Detroit, but how do you think the Rams are feeling right now? They have a literally broken-down Matthew Stafford, who is a very old 35, and you got Goff, who's looking pretty damn good, and everything they gave up on top of it to do that, that flip-flop of two starting quarterbacks. Of all the other things the Rams have going wrong right now, at some level, that organization... Somewhere in that fan base, they got to be thinking, what the hell were we thinking by giving up on Jared Goff when we did? Well, I guess I would ask this question, Mike. That year, the year of that trade, would the Los Angeles Rams have won the Super Bowl? A very, very tight NFC Championship game that year. Very tight. A very, very tight Super Bowl that year against Cincinnati. They won two games narrowly, okay, with Matthew Stafford making some big throws in those games. So I'm not saying that right now today they don't regret it. My question to you is, would the Los Angeles Rams have won a Super Bowl the last two years? Would they have won a Super Bowl the last two years with Jared Goff instead of Matthew Stafford as quarterback? And I would bet you that deep down they would say absolutely not. So I think they've got a Lombardi trophy. I'm sure they have some regrets about the compensation package that they gave up. However, they also have a Lombardi. So if I I agree with you, don't cry for the Los Angeles Rams. Right. I agree with you because I think the Rams concluded Jared Goff is only going to take a team so far. 
And as far as he can take them for the Lions, that's great. But that may be the not-too-distant future for the Lions. They become a consistent contender. They're bumping against the ceiling, and they realize we're bumping against the ceiling because our quarterback can only take us so far. Something to keep an eye on as this Lions euphoria continues to spread, as it should. Lions fans, great job last night at the stadium. Unbelievable turnout. A great positivity among the Lions now, and we'll see how they carry it moving forward. When we return, a team that we saw turn around in the past couple of years and become one of the best in the NFL, the Cincinnati Bengals. There's a bill that comes due when you get that quarterback that turns it around, and the bill has been paid to Joe Burrow. We'll discuss that next on this Friday edition of PFT Live. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Applications subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.